0: We, as a country, we recognize and put a huge price on freedom. In fact, we promote freedom throughout the world and help other countries establish freedom for themselves. We recognize and we say to ourselves, as Americans, we determine our own destiny, and we don't allow any other country to do that for us. In fact, that's why we fought a revolutionary war so that we may win our own freedom. And so, freedom is something that's dear to every American's heart. Well, if you look at all three of the scripture readings for this weekend, they talk about freedom, but in this case, biblical freedom. You see biblical freedom throughout the entire Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And biblical freedom is just this. It's the person that says, it's not that I decide that matters, but instead it's what God decides that truly matters for me. Biblical freedom is the person that says, it's not the person that I determine to be, but instead it's the person that God determines me to be. That's biblical freedom. You know, it reminds me of the great joke. You know, if you really want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans for the future. Well, the three readings for this weekend teach us about biblical freedom. Now, it's a little bit different from the freedom that we share and have here in the United States. But, nonetheless, it does the same purpose. It frees us to make good choices in the spiritual life. Now, the first thing we need to do is turn to that second reading from Paul. Paul, you could say, is the linchpin. He helps us to understand the biblical perspective of freedom. And he helps us understand the gospel as well as the first reading. Now, when we first listen to the gospel in the first reading, it sounds like we don't have freedom. Instead, God's will is imposed upon us, and therefore we have no choice but to follow it. Well, that's not true. St. Anselm once said, The virtuous person is one who is able to choose the good rather easily. I'll say that again. The virtuous person is the one who is able to choose the good easily. But sometimes we struggle, don't we? We are torn with saying yes, with choosing the good. Give me a great example. Think of the person that you would like to be. Now, what I mean by this is you could say to yourself, well, I want to be more patient with others. I want to be more charitable. I want to be more forgiving. I don't want to bear grudges. I want to be supportive to family or friends. Well, that's the image of the person you want to be or supposed to be. And yet you say to yourself, why am I not that person? What is it that prevents me from being that person? Well, it could be many things. Pride, grudges. Whatever it is, there's something that prevents us From choosing the good and becoming that person. Well, that's at the heart of Paul's message. That's why he says, For freedom, Jesus set us free. Paul reminds us that Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection has removed our enslavement, especially our enslavement to sin. And see, now we are truly free, free to say yes to God, and always free to choose the good. Paul continues. He says, For you were called for freedom. Well, Paul is telling us Christian liberty and Christian freedom is free from any attachments. And in doing so, now we can serve God and mature in our grace. Now, with that in mind, go back into that first reading. It becomes a little bit more sensible for us. In the reading, it says, Elijah was sent by God and came upon Elisha, who was plowing. And he placed his cloak over Elisha's shoulders. Now, it doesn't appear that Elijah or Elisha know each other. Now, what I find very interesting is the fact that Elijah never asks Elisha if he would consider being the prophet. Instead, he simply puts his cloak over his shoulders Well, it's a symbolic gesture that God has now appointed Elisha to become the next prophet. And so then it begs the question, who is Elisha? Well, he's like you and I. He's an ordinary person doing his job as we find him in the fields plowing. Well, the one thing that we can take from the scripture passage is that he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I don't know about you, but 12 oxen is an extraordinary large number of animals to plow with. Normally, in that day and age, you'd plow with one ox, or maybe two if you could afford it. But he is plowing with 12 oxen? That's incredible. Plus, he's using the latest technology. He's using a plow. And so, we can only assume that Elisha is a very affluent and wealthy person because he has many animals and he has the greatest or latest technology. Elisha then finds out God's will for him, that he is to become the next prophet. And so, what does Elisha do? Well, he gives away all of his animals and his plow. And now he's free. He's free from any attachments whatsoever to go and follow God and choose the good. Now, where else do we see this? people freeing themselves of attachments in order to choose the good. Well, look at the apostles. When Jesus calls them, essentially they immediately follow Jesus because they are free. They essentially exercise biblical freedom. Just look at the story of the calling of Matthew. Matthew, we all know, was a tax collector. And in the story of his calling, he is sitting there at a table with mountains and mountains of money, as he's counting. Jesus comes up to him and says, come and follow me. Well, Matthew gets up, and immediately he leaves all that money behind. All of his power and prestige, he leaves behind. See, now he's biblically free to choose the good. Where else do we see this? In the lives of the saints, don't we? Look at that great story of St. Francis of Assisi. He was born into a very affluent and wealthy family. And at an early age, as he was growing up, he had everything that you could have ever imagine. And yet, when he was around 17, 18 years old, he now knew God's will for him. And therefore, he gave up all of his wealth and all of his affluency that his family gave him. And he walked away from it. See, then he became biblically free. And now he was able to easily choose the good and follow God's will. Now, you say to yourself, well, I I just can't do that. I can't drop everything. I'm married. I have kids. I've got a job. I've got commitments in the community. I can't do that. Well, don't worry. I don't think God is asking any of us to make that dramatic decision or action. But I think These examples in the Bible and in the lives of the saints, they compel us to take a look at our lives and find out where God truly is calling us in our faith. Give you some examples. Maybe he's calling us to care for people, especially the poor. We'll go and join St. Vincent de Paul or help in a food pantry or help in a program that serves meals to the poor. Therefore, you're choosing the good. Or contribute to the needs of your parish. You know, get involved with liturgy as an usher, as a person in the choir. Get involved in faith formation, teaching the religion to the kids. Or maybe you're just simply called to spend more time with God in prayer. And so go and establish a holy hour every week in which you are praying before the Blessed Sacrament And you are one on one with Christ. But before we can do any of these things, we have to take a long look at our life and see if there's anything preventing us from answering that call and choosing the good. Give me some examples. Look at Elisha. What would have prevented him from choosing the call and following God's will and not choosing the good? Well, his wealth and his possessions. He could have easily said to Elijah, Oh, I can't do that. I've got too much to lose here. I've got so much thing, so many things here. Look at Paul in the second reading. Paul tells us in that second reading exactly what could have prevented him from saying yes to God and choosing the good. It was his pride and his arrogance. Well, we too, like Elisha and Paul, have to take a deep, long look at our life and see if there are any attachments that are preventing us from choosing the good and following God's will. And if there are, call upon the Lord to remove them. Now, turn to the gospel. The gospel now makes perfect sense. Jesus, again, is inviting people into relationship, into faith with him. Now, the people do make excuses. I would argue some of them are valid. The one man says he just wants to bury his dad. Now, it seems reasonable, a reasonable request, but notice Jesus' response. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, when we first hear that, we say, well, that's pretty darn cold. In fact, that's downright harsh. But in this case, Jesus is just trying to shake us up to identify our priorities. Where is Christ? Is he on the top of our priority list? Or is he in the middle, competing with all the other things that we have in our life? Essentially, what Jesus is telling us in the important lesson, we are all genuine followers of Christ, called by God. Therefore, we must make a firm commitment to God. We can't be wishy-washy. Instead, God has to be the highest priority in our life. When Jesus is at the center of our life, all aspects of our life, our family, our friends, our work, our hobbies, our activities, They all fall into harmony with Christ. They don't compete with Christ. They are in harmony with him. See, when that happens, then we have true biblical freedom in our life. Then we are free to serve God, to grow in our faith, and always choose the good. As Paul says, for freedom, Jesus set us free. Well, we have all been claimed by Christ. The moment of our baptism therefore surrender to the Lord, then we will truly be free, and we will be able to now act upon his invitation to always grow closer to him. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.